Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, we will be talking about the JCT Minor Works contract. Uh, Today's episode meets PC5 of the Part 3 criteria. So today is Part 1 of the JCT Minor Works contract, and we will be covering how the contract is formed, the contractor's obligations, and commencement and completion. Uh, Next week, uh, I will be covering Part 2. And in Part 2, we will be covering uh, control of the works, sums properly due, contract and certification, indemnity and insurance, termination and dispute resolution. So let's dive into part one. So just to give you a quick overview of the contract itself. So the JCT Minor Works building contract was first published in 1968 and it tends to be used on small to medium sized uh, building projects due to its relative uh, shortness and simplicity. So there are two versions of the Minor Works building contract. One includes provisions for the contractor to carry out design known as the minor works building contract with contractor's design. And then there is the version without uh, the contractor's design portion, which is simply the minor works building contract. So apart from the references relating to design, the two versions are um, relatively identical and they can be used by private clients and public or local authorities. So most items I will be referring to relate to both versions. But if there's something that's different in one of them, I will uh, mention in which one. So the Minor Works contract with and without contractor design is intended for projects that are procured under traditional procurement. And they are appropriate for work that is simple in character, where the work is designed by or on behalf of the client, and where the contract administrator has been appointed to administer the conditions. So the Minor Works Building contract is a traditional lump sum contract and the form allows for the contract sum to be adjusted and requires that the amount of work which is covered by the contract sum should be described in exact terms in the contract documents. So the work will be described in drawings and uh, or a specification and or schedules of work. And where the contractor's design portion is used, the client must state their requirements for the design of that part. And the contractor will base their price and tender on the documents provided uh, at tender stage. And they should be adequately detailed to enable them to provide an accurate price without a bill of quantities. So under the terms, the contractor undertakes to carry out the works shown in the contract documents by the completion date Uh, entered in the contract particulars and the form does allow for provisions for varying the work and mechanisms for adjusting the contract sum and completion date. So the contract assumes that all work is designed by the contract administrator unless the minor works building contract with contractor's design uh, portion is used whereby design responsibility can be assigned to the contractor for an identified part or parts of the works, which should be limited to one or two simple and non-critical elements. So under the standard minor works form, 
the contractor has no uh, design role. So it's only under the minor works building contract with contractor's design that the contractor has some level of design um, role and liability. So the form generally requires the appointment of an architect or contract administrator who will be responsible for issuing all the uh, information necessary for the carrying out of the works. In terms of the contractor's liability, they will take full responsibility for ensuring that the standards set out in the contract documents are achieved, including responsibility for any subcontracted work. And the forms provide for domestic subcontractors chosen uh, by the contractor, and this is subject to written consent from the contract administrator, and there's no provision requiring the contractor to use uh, a subcontractor named or nominated by the contract administrator. Now, if the naming of subcontractors is crucial for the job, then it may be best to use a different form that allows for these provisions because Minor Works doesn't. So the contract administrator generally has the authority to order variations to the works if required, and the contractor has a corresponding right to be paid any additional costs that arise from that variation. So provisions are also made within the form for the use of a BIM protocol. And if this is used, it should be included in the employer's requirements under the minor works uh, contract with contractor's design or in the contract documents under the uh, standard minor works contract. So generally, if descriptions are inaccurate, any resulting addition to cost will be borne by the client. Now, in terms of payment... Interim payments are made to the contractor at monthly intervals following the issue of the contract administrator's certificates. So these certificates will reflect the amount of work that has been properly completed up to the point of the valuation in accordance with the terms of the contract. Although none of these certificates are conclusive evidence that the contractor has indeed fulfilled their obligations under the contract. So apart from the interim certificates, the contract administrator also has a role to evaluate variations alongside valuation of work executed and the computation of the final sum due. And it should be noted that the contract administrator and contractor are required to try and agree on the price of a variation before the work is carried out. So the minor works contract can also be considered for domestic building work although certain issues may arise if the client is either a residential occupier for the purposes of the Housing Grants Construction and Regeneration Act or a consumer for the purposes of the Consumer Rights Act. So if the client is a residential occupier, then the provisions regarding payment notices and adjudication are not required by law and attention should be given as to whether the client would wish to include them or if they would prefer a simpler payment regime and an alternative dispute resolution system. Now, if the client is a consumer client, it should be taken into account that the minor works contract has not been drafted as a consumer contract. Although the form uh, does refer and contains provisions with the Housing Grants Construction and Regeneration Act, it doesn't make any reference to the consumer contracts regulations which gives the consumer the right to cancel the contract within uh, 14 days of signing it. So it doesn't mean, however, that this form can't be used, 
but the provisions within the contract should be carefully explained to the consumer client for them to make an informed decision whether to proceed with this form or whether to choose a, di a different one. So the Minor Works contract can also be used on public sector projects and has many features for public sector procurement relating to fair payment provisions and transparency. So these require that the final date for payment should not exceed 30 days from the date at which the value of the work done in a particular period is assessed and that similar provisions are included in subcontracts. So the form also includes provisions relevant to any employer that is subject to the Freedom of Information Act, meaning that the parties accept that the contract is not confidential, except for material that may be exempt and which the employer has the discretion to determine. So it's considered that the Minor Works contract is an appropriate choice for smaller local authority projects, such as uh, stripping out or site clearance work in preparation for a larger project to be taken forward on a JCT standard building contract or equivalent. Uh, interesting fact, where projects have been let on a letter of intent, it may have been better if a JCT minor works contract was used in the short term until the terms of the main works are being finalised. So some key provisions that are not included in the minor works contract include a clerk of works, phased possession or completion, the use or occupation of the site by the employer during the works, nominated or named subcontractors or suppliers, the contractor to notify the contract administrator of discrepancies between the contract documents, the employer to employ others directly or the contractor to allow access for directly engaged workers, the contract administrator uh, can reduce the contract period if work is omitted. The contract administrator can award an extension of time without a notice from the contractor. The contract administrator can extend the contract period for delaying events occurring after the date for completion has passed. The contract administrator can review extensions of time previously given. They can also award uh, loss and or expense unless resulting from a variation or suspension. The contract administrator to require work to be opened up, tested or removed. The contract administrator to visit the contractors or subcontractors workshops. The contractor to include property vesting clauses in all subcontracts. Professional indemnity insurance requirements for contractors design portion. Design submission uh, procedure for contractors design portion. Copyright in the contractors design documents. Provision for collateral warranties from the contractor or any subcontractor. A provision for advance payment. Allowance for terrorism insurance cover. And a quantity uh, surveyor, the requirement of a quantity surveyor. So these are items not allowed for within the Minor Works contract forms. And that gives you a general overview of what it entails and what the form itself is. So now let's look at the form more closely, starting with its documents. So when the project is sent out to tender, it's essential that the contractor is given full and detailed information regarding the project requirements. If the project is not to be fully designed by the employer's consultants, the contractor will require further information about the design that is to be provided, including any performance specifications, alongside any details of the building contract to be used. 
So in terms of the tendering process for the minor works contract, one of two methods may be used. The first is competitive tendering with a small number of contractors or through negotiation with a single contractor. Uh, there is also an alternative method um, that can be used, which is two-stage tendering, whereby a small number of contractors are asked to tender on the basis of less than complete information, and negotiations will then take place with the one that makes the most attractive submission. Uh, now, this method is typically used where the contractor is expected to have a significant design input and the employer wishes to approve the design before entering into the main contract. Uh, and then the selected contractor can then work with the employer's consultants in finalizing the design. So it's generally unlikely that a two-stage tender would be used for a project based on the minor works contract. But if it is, an agreement will be required to cover the contractor's liability to the employer for their contribution to the design process. So the contract documents uh, consist of the drawings, a specification, work schedules, and the employee's requirements if it's the minor works contract with contractor's design. So the items not to be used must be deleted out of the contract. Uh, and alongside these uh, documents, the agreements, the conditions, and a schedule of rates also consist uh, or accompany the contract documents. So a key item to highlight is that there is provision for a bill of quantities under the minor works contract. So the contractor will price either the specification or the schedules in an itemized format or provide a contract sum backed by a schedule of rates. So the contractor should be sent copies of all the intended contract documents at the time of tender, together with all the information required under the contract particulars, including commencement and completion dates, liquidated damages, the rectification period, the retention percentage, the period for supply of documentation together with information relating to tax, uh, fluctuations, insurance and dispute resolution. Now in terms of inconsistencies, errors or omissions, in the minor works contract with contractors design, it requires inconsistencies in or between the contract documents to be corrected including inconsistencies in the employee's requirements, and any correction is to be treated as a variation. And if the contractor finds any divergence between the contractor documents, including the employee's requirements, or any instruction of the contract administrator and statutory requirements in both uh, contract versions, then the contract administrator must be given immediate written notice. So once a divergence is discovered, the contract administrator should issue an instruction to clarify the situation and it should be treated as a variation. And provided the contractor has complied with their duty to notify, the contractor would not be liable if the works don't comply with statutory requirements. So except in the case of divergences from statutory requirements, the contractor is not under any express obligation to point out any consistencies that they find within or between the contract documents. So in terms of who is responsible um, and to be the safekeeper for the contract documents, the contract doesn't contain any provisions who has custody and control of the documents, 
but the original contract documents would typically remain with the contract administrator with certified copies provided to the client and the contractor. Now, in terms of subcontract documents, JCT publishes a generic uh, short form of subcontracts that can be used with the minor works contract, although the contract form itself doesn't necessarily require it to be used. The only restrictions stated within the minor works contract for terms that may be agreed for any subcontract is the right to interest on unpaid amounts properly due to the subcontractor from the contractor and the contract between contractor and subcontractor shall uh, be terminated immediately upon the termination of the contractor's employment under the contract. So JCT also publishes a minor works subcontract with subcontractor's design for use with the minor works contract with contractor's design. Uh, additionally, the minor works contract doesn't have any requirements in relation to conditions regarding ownership of unfixed goods and materials, such as those required under the standard building contract and intermediate contract. So that covers the contract documents. Now let's look at the contractor's obligations. So the contractor's essential obligation is to carry out and complete the works. The works to be undertaken by the contractor will be described in the contract documents. Uh, under the minor works contract with contractor's design, it also makes provision for the contractor to undertake the design of part or parts of the project. And under the contract, the contractor is to use reasonable skill, care and diligence in completing the design for the contractor's design portion including the selection of any specifications for the kinds and standards of the materials, goods and workmanship to be used in the contractor's design portion. So this level of design liability means that in order to prove a breach, the employer would need to prove that the contractor has been negligent and failed to use the required level of skill and care. Now, under the minor works contract, it also uses slightly different wording to the equivalent clauses in other JCT forms, which requires the contractor to use reasonable skill, care and diligence instead of the skill and care of an appropriate, qualified and competent professional designer, which is used in other JCT forms. So under the minor works contract with contractor's design portion, makes it clear that the contractor is not responsible for the adequacy of the information in the employer's requirements. So where the employer's requirements contain an outline design, which the contractor is required to complete, the contractor is not responsible for checking the adequacy of that design, and the contractor is required to comply with directions of the contract administrator with regard to the integration of the design of the contractor's design portion with the works as a whole and although the contract doesn't specifically cover the point it is generally assumed that the contract administrator is responsible for the overall coordination of the design. Now in terms of materials goods and workmanship these vary slightly between the two versions. So under the minor works contract work must be carried out in a workmanlike manner and in accordance with the construction phase plan and the contractor is obliged to carry out the works in compliance with the contract documents to the standard specified and to the approval of the contract administrator. 
whereas under the minor works contract with contractor's design, the contractor is required to carry out the works in compliance with the contract documents. So for the work which is not part of the contractor's design portion, the contractor would be obliged to comply with any specification provided and to the employer of the contract administrator. So with respect to the contractor's design portion, the contractor must provide materials, goods, um, workmanship and so on as specified in the employer's requirements or if none are specified, they are to use reasonable skill and care in selecting such materials and goods. So the contractor's responsibility for work and materials in the two forms is if specified or described in the contract documents to provide materials uh, and so on as specified. If the contract requires them to be approved by the contract administrator to be to the contract administrator's reasonable satisfaction, if not specified at all with respect to the contractor's design portion, they are to be of a standard appropriate to the contractor's design portion with some ambiguity over the level of uh, liability. Uh, again, if not specified at all with respect to non-contractor's design uh, portion items, in the case of the minor works uh, contract with contractor's design, uh, it is to be of a standard appropriate to the works with some ambiguity over the level of liability. And then again, if not specified at all, in the case of the standard minor works contract, the obligations of the contractor will depend on the particular provisions agreed and whether a term may be implied regarding design liability. Now, in terms of subcontracted work, the minor works contract provides for domestic subcontractors only and there are no provisions for naming or nominating firms selected by the employer or the contract administrator. And the contractor remains fully responsible for the standards and quality of all contracted works, including any contractor's design portion, which has been subcontracted. So the contractor is under a statutory duty to comply with all legislation that is relevant to the carrying out of the work, both contract form versions introduce a contractual duty in addition to the statutory duty, which provides protection to the employer. So the minor works contract with contractor's design requires the contractor to comply with and give all notices required by the statutory requirements. And both parties under both contracts are to comply with all their obligations under the CDM regulations. So the key obligations of the contractor under the contract include carrying out and completing the works, completing the design of the contractor's design portion under the minor works contract with contractor's design, comply with regulations 8 to 10 of the CDM regulations and with the contract administrator's directions regarding integration of the contractor's design portion under the minor works contract with contractor's design only. Uh, they are to provide drawings and information to explain the contractor's design portion. Uh, they are to take all reasonable steps to encourage employees uh, and so on to be registered under the construction skills certification scheme. They are to complete the works by the date for completion. They are to correct inconsistencies between the contractor's design uh, portion documents under the minor works contract with contractor's design only. 
they are to notify the contract administrator of any divergence found between statutory requirements and the contract documents and any instruction of the contract administrator. They are to pay statutory uh, fees and charges. They are to notify the contract administrator when it appears the works will not be completed by the date for completion for reasons beyond the contractor's control. They are to pay or allow uh, to the employer liquidated damages for failure to complete by the date for completion. They are to make good defects which appear within the rectification period. Uh, they should have a key person in charge on site at all reasonable times. They are to ensure that any subcontract includes specified conditions. Uh, they should forthwith carry out all instructions issued by the contract administrator. They are to endeavour to agree the value of variations with the contract administrator. They are to comply with the CDM regulations. Give the employer a pay less notice if intending to pay less than the sum certified in the final certificate. They are to pay simple interest to the payee on any amount not properly paid. They are to provide the contract administrator with all documentation reasonably required for calculating the final account. They are to indemnify the employer for any expense, liability, uh, loss, claim or proceedings in respect of injury to or death of any person. They are to indemnify the employer for any damage to property. They are to take effective insurance against uh, their liability take out insurance against loss or damage to the works as required, take out insurance as required in the contract particulars. They are to produce evidence of the insurance and prepare an account following termination. They are also required to work collaboratively with other team members and establish a working environment where health and safety is of paramount uh, importance and comply with all health and safety codes ensuring personnel receive site-specific training and have access to health and safety advice and ensure there is a proper consultation with all personnel. They are also to provide details of a proposed cost saving or value improvement. They are to provide the employer with information on the environmental impact of materials selected by the contractor. They are also to provide the employer with information necessary to monitor the contractor's performance against indicators and notify the employer of matters that may give rise to a dispute. Uh, and also they are to consent to the employer publishing any amendments to the standard form and also include specific terms in subcontracts. And the contractor's key powers include subcontracting the works with the contract administrator's permission make an application for payment, issue a payment notice, suspend performance of contractual obligations. Uh, they can also terminate the contractor's employment, propose changes to designs and specifications, and suggest amendments that may improve environmental performance. So that covers the contractor's obligations. Now let's move on to the next and final section of today's uh, episode, which is commencement and completion. So the most important dates in a building contract is the date for possession or commencement and the date for completion of the works. These should preferably be given at tender stage 
If work starts without proper agreement over dates, the contract will be subject to the Supply of Goods and Services Act or the Consumer Rights Act, which state for the completion to be within a reasonable time. So under the Minor Works contract, a work's commencement date and a date for completion are required. Uh, staged commencement or completion are not allowed for under the contract. Unlike other JCT forms, the Minor Works contract doesn't refer to the contractor being given possession of the site, but it does state that the works may be commenced on the date stated in the contract. If for any reason the works are substantially suspended for a period of a month or uh, more due to failure to allow necessary access, then this would be grounds for termination. So any restrictions on access to work methods should be clearly stated in the contract documents. The parties, of course, under the minor works contract are free to renegotiate the terms of any contract, meaning if there is indeed a delay in allowing access, then the parties may have to agree new dates for commencement and completion, but with financial compensation to the contractor. Now, if the employer wishes to use or occupy part of the works during the time that the contractor is on site, this should be made clear in the tender documents and agreement should be reached with the contractor. This may occur if the project is a domestic building. In such instances, the work should be phased so that the contractor has exclusive access to certain parts uh, for agreed periods. Uh, this should ideally be discussed between the contract administrator and client prior to the tender documents being sent out. In terms of progress, the contractor is free to organize their own working methods and sequences of operations given they comply with the construction phase plan. So although the contract doesn't require the contractor to produce a program, it may be useful as one is put together to assist the contract administrator when monitoring progress and assessing extensions of time. Although the contract administrator should be careful the program doesn't become a contractually binding document against which their own performance will be tied to. Now, when it comes to the completion date, as mentioned previously, the minor works contract requires an entry in the contract particulars, which gives the date for completion, and the contract gives the contract administrator the power to extend time, but makes no provision for the contract administrator to reduce the contract period, even if substantial work is omitted. If supplemental provision 3 is used under the contract, uh, then a new date, either later or earlier, might be agreed as part of cost-saving uh, proposals. And then the contractor will be obliged to complete the works by the date for completion. If the contractor fails to complete by this date, then liquidated damages will become payable. So once completion is achieved, the practical completion certificate will then be issued and the employer is obliged to accept the works. If delays occur, however, then the minor works contract has provisions for extensions of time to be granted, whereby the contractor must give notice to the contract administrator if it becomes apparent that the work will not be completed by the date for completion, and the notice must be given regardless of the reason of the delay. If it's anticipated that notification of any delay is essential, then this should be made clear in the tender documents and a suitable amendment made to the form. 
So the contract doesn't require the contractor to explain the reasons for the delay in the notice, but of course it's best for them to do so in order for the contract administrator to assess uh, what extension might be appropriate. So once notice of delay has been given to the contract administrator, then they are required to make uh, such extension of time for completion as may be reasonable. For guidance on what might be considered to be beyond the contractor's control, the contract administrator may refer to the relevant events listed under the standard building contract, uh, which uh, includes adverse weather, specified perils, uh, strikes, failure to supply information, site access, and any difficulty movement on or around the site. In terms of default of subcontractors, the Minor Works contract clearly states that such an occurrence is something within the contractor's control and will therefore not constitute for an extension of time if requested. In terms of the contract administrator's response to the contractor's delay notice, the contract doesn't state a time limit when the contract administrator is to respond, but it's suggested this is done as soon as possible in order to preserve uh, the client's right to liquidated damages. So the contract administrator should either fix a new completion date or notify the contractor that no extension of time is due. So the contract administrator's right to award an extension of time is dependent on the contractor having given notice and this should ideally be given before the date for completion because if the contractor fails to submit a notice where the employer has caused a delay or if they submit the notice late, then the right to deduct uh, liquidated damages may be jeopardised if the contract administrator is unable to extend the contract period. So in such an occasion, it may be best for the contract administrator to award an extension of time, allowing the contractor to take the matter to adjudication if they choose to do so. So in terms of the contract administrator awarding extensions of time for events that have occurred after the date for completion, the contract doesn't make any explicit provisions for what happens in such instances. So the most appropriate approach will probably be the client to agree on a revised completion date with the contractor. So now reverting back to the contract administrator's duties with regards to extensions of time, the contract administrator has an obligation to issue extensions of time when properly due, and any failure to do so is a breach on the client's part. So in each respective uh, instance, the contract administrator should assess the effect of the delay on the contract completion date. Now, in a case where two or more delaying events occur at the same time, it would be most appropriate to grant the extension of time in respect of the dominant reason. So if the delaying events are caused by either party, so one is due to the client and the other is due to the contractor, the most sensible approach would be to split the difference given both parties have contributed to the delay, although the more logical approach would be to grant the contractor the full length of the delay caused by the employer. So once the project has reached completion, Although the contract sets out no specific procedure for dealing with practical completion, the contract administrator is obliged to certify the date at which 
in the contract administrator's opinion, the works have reached uh, practical completion and the contractor has complied with the contract. So the contract documents may set out a procedure, but the contract administrator should carefully check at tender stage to ensure the procedure is satisfactory. Then the date certified for practical completion is the date when the last condition is fulfilled, meaning if there is a delay before receiving the health and safety information, for example, the date of its receipt should be the date on the certificate, irrespective of the fact that practical completion of the works was achieved days or even weeks earlier. In terms of quality control and snagging, this is entirely with the contractor. So as mentioned, in order for the contract administrator to confirm practical completion has been reached, the contract administrator should be satisfied that there are no patent defects, that all construction work as defined in the contract has been completed, and if the CDM regulations apply in full, the contractor has sufficiently complied with their obligations. So with practical completion, half of the retention is released, leaving only 2.5% in hand. The money may be used to remedy work which the contractor refuses to correct, but is only intended to cover the risk of latent defects and may not be enough to cover defects which are apparent at practical completion. Um, also, with practical completion, the rectification period begins. The employer takes over responsibility for the site and the contractor will no longer cover the insurance of the works. The contractor's liability for liquidated damages ends and the employer will be the occupier for the purposes of the Occupier's Liability Act. So some contracts mention that the contractor arranges a handover meeting at the end of the project. This term, however, is not used in the minor works contract. And although handover meetings can be of use, particularly in introducing the finished uh, project to the employer, it's better to avoid complex or inflexible procedures in the contract documents. Now, if the contract administrator feels the works are not complete, there is no obligation in the contract for them to justify their opinion with schedules of outstanding items. So in the event of failure to achieve practical completion and completing the works by the completion date, the employer may deduct damages from the amount due under the next certificate or reclaim the sum as a debt. So under the minor works contract, the contract administrator is not required to certify non-completion, but it is probably wise for them to record it in a letter to the client and contractor. So once the date for completion has passed, the contractor is known to be in culpable delay and the employer can claim for liquidated damages, which will be at the rate entered into the contract particulars, typically a sum per week of delay. So the liquidated damages may either be uh, recovered from the contractor as a debt or deducted from monies due. For this to occur, it must be proven that the contractor has failed to complete the works by the completion date and the contract administrator must have fulfilled all duties with respect to the award of extensions of time. Now, if the employer wishes to deduct liquidated damages from an amount payable on a certificate, they must give a payless notice stating the reason and amount the employer considers to be due and the basis on which it was calculated. 
So if the employer wishes to deduct damages from the final certificate, it must be made clear in writing before the date of the final certificate. If an extension of time, however, is given following the date for completion, the employer must then immediately repay any liquidated damages recovered for the period up to the completion date. So that covers what I wanted to discuss today. And um, this concludes the commencement and completion section. So this covers part one of the minor works contract. Uh, to sum up what I discussed today, the JCT minor works building contract tends to be used on small to medium sized building projects due to its relative shortness and simplicity. The value of the projects tend to be for up to 500,000, so it's typically used on renovation projects and non-complex projects. It's published in two versions, the minor works building contract and the minor works building contract with contractor's design, which allows for contractor's design portion. It tends to be for projects procured under traditional procurement and are appropriate for work that is simple in character, where the work is designed by or on behalf of the client and where the contract administrator has been appointed to administer the conditions. The minor works building contract is a traditional lump sum contract. The form requires the appointment of an architect or contract administrator who will be responsible for issuing all further information necessary for the carrying out of the works. In terms of the contractor's liability, they will take full responsibility for ensuring that the standards set out in the contract documents are achieved, including responsibility for any subcontracted work. The minor works contract can also be used on public sector projects and has many features for public sector procurement. The contractor's essential obligation under the contract is to carry out and complete the works, and the works to be undertaken by the contractor will be described in the contract documents. Under the minor works contract, a works commencement date and a date for completion are required. Staged commencement or completion are not allowed for under the contract, and unlike other JCT forms, the minor works contract does not refer to the contractor being given possession of the site, but it does state that the works may be commenced on the date stated in the contract. The contractor is also free to organize their own working methods and sequences of operations, given it complies with the construction phase plan. And the contract administrator is to confirm practical completion has been reached, and they should be satisfied that there are no patent defects that all construction work as defined in the contract has been completed and that if the CDM regulations apply in full, the contractor has sufficiently complied with their obligations. So that covers part one of what I wanted to discuss today in terms of the JCT Minor Works contract. Make sure to join me next week for part two, where we will be covering the control of the works, sums properly due, contract and certification, indemnity insurance, termination and dispute resolution. And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.